It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the Hive Jive. Well, hello. <laughs> hello, how are you doing? I am doing good. So for, for people who can see us, um, this is not necessarily, I don't need to necessarily describe this, but for those of you who cannot see us, earlier today, ha- had I not changed clothes, I would have been in the thickest, fluffiest flannel pajamas you'd ever seen because it was <laughs> uber warm and cozy. And that makes sense for me, but I'm sitting here looking at Natalie and she is wearing a coat. <laughs> Right, because my house is not heated and it's getting cold, right? So, <laughs> and I don't like cold. So, so kind of... let's define what is cold in Texas. <laughs> well, it is forty-five or so today. It's been fifty-four uh, as a high, but it's gone that we had a twenty-nine day uh, this week. Ooh, we had a uh, okay. frost on the truck and everything. I'm I'm all right then. I I'm digging it. It's uh, that's called. Um, sharing the love evenly right because <laughs> you went all the way to snow right oh we did so uh friday friday night or saturday night i've been going back and forth i can't remember which it was we got about an inch of snow it didn't stick around it literally the next day it was all gone but then again last night on monday night we got another inch of snow and it was beautiful both times because they were huge wet fluffy snowflakes coming down so that was very pretty to see but both of them happened after dark and it was about eight o'clock at night till about midnight when, when it all happened. And then again, by the time the sun comes up, there's only a few little patches left here and there. Uh, it is, it's kind of all over the place. So it's actually a little bit early this year for the snow. But last year, we didn't get snow until after Christmas. Uh-huh. And the year before that, we had a foot of snow on the ground this time at that time. So who knows? I mean, it's just, it's kind of everywhere. But that being said, um, I did, I posted a video. So anybody who is a patron at the B Academy level, which means the, the, the people that actually get to see these videos, um, you have access to all the training and education videos and behind the scenes stuff as well. There is a video that I posted out there. Uh, it's BTS for behind the scenes, but it's really not a behind the scenes. It is me going out and insulating the remaining Langstroth colony and mm-hmm. actually putting the insulated foam core board around it. And I kind of go through this it's about a 20 minute video. Um, I walk through all the steps of it, but the point of it though, was kind of going back and touching on some of the topics that we've talked about on here, which were procrastination. Mm-hmm. I had procrastinated to the point where that day that I did the video was the very last day we were going to have temperatures above 70 degrees because mm-hmm. the next day our high was going to be 40. Right, <laughs> And then it just fell through the floor from there. Um, The other part of it was improvisation and improvising. And I did not have all of the stuff that I needed, nor did the local stores have exactly what I wanted. So I had to improvise. I ended up with stupid thick, like two inch thick foam core was massively huge. Uh, I had the proper tape that I wanted to use to actually seal it up and insulate it, but I left it at the investment property. So I ended up using not so great duct tape. I... Mm -hmm. Did not have a razor that would cut through the the two inch thick because it was so thick. So I used my giant watermelon knife 
uh, <laughs> to saw through it, which made like horrible noises and made a mess. And, you know, it wasn't nothing about the video was pretty. But the point of it was sometimes you do the best that you can do with what you've got. And that's where the improvising exactly. comes in, which is what we talked about last week. So I kind of wanted to put that out there and show everybody like, hey, look, sometimes it doesn't work the way we want it to. And you just got to make do with what you can. So it kind of wrapped all those little points in there. But it was good that I did it because as we're talking about right now, it did get really cold. (laughs) So our lows are in the uh, below freezing. Our lows are are in like 20s, mid 20s every night. And then the daytime highs right now are lucky if we get to 40. It's been like 32 to 36. Um, It will reach 40, you know, like the peak of the day sometimes, but then it drops right back down. So it's uh, it's winter's here. Right, it is. And uh, that watermelon knife is actually uh, proving to be a jack of all trades, basically. So that's a really good investment that you made on that one. I was looking for it and I couldn't find one. So I swear it's like it was maybe five dollars. It was either like four ninety nine or five ninety nine. And it was at the in Texas, they have these stores called H.E.B., And the, in the summer, like June and July, they'll have these massive cardboard boxes just full to the brim with watermelons. And I found it literally attached to the side of one of those boxes. It was like, Oh, here, get a watermelon knife. (laughs) So I bought a bunch. Yeah. I will definitely look for one of those next year for the very reason that you just use it to improvise and do things like this. Yeah. It's also great to cut comb, right? Yep. It works great on comb. You can use it to separate things off the sides of the, the the hive body. You can use it to do a removal and cut comb out. You can use it to pry between the boxes and, you know, prop them open if you need to. Like there's, it has a lot of uses to it. It is also stupid sharp though. So do not be deceived. It is serrated and it is very sharp, um, but it, it does great. Cute. You know, the whole point's to cut open a watermelon. So it's cute, but it's lethal, right? It's just right. It's right. It's cute, but yeah. deadly. <laughs> As all the best things in life are. So exactly. So here's my thinking on on um, winterization and all this stuff. I, I, you know, sometimes because I procrastinate, I'm just gonna kind of justify it to myself by thinking that if they have a lot of honey around the brood's nest, <laughs> they're already pretty much insulated. Um, I'm also justifying it, rationalizing it by uh, saying that well, it's not the cold that killed the bees; it's the draft. It's the air drafts. So as long as there's no air coming in, you know, we're missing the thermal mass and those uh, wide swings of um, temperatures are the issue when we're forcing the bees to break out of cluster and get back in cluster. That's what is the most energy intensive, basically. But I, I, I kind of forgive myself. Uh, sometimes if I haven't had the time to winterize everything that I want to winterize, because I know that in the end, it's in the long run, that's going to matter, right? Because if we, if we make them go through their resources too much, that's when they're going to run out before the end of the winter. And that's the value of that uh, insulation. But above all, I mean, um, and, and that's what you're doing with those boards is increasing the thermal mass as well, right? Yeah. And I increased it exponentially because again it was way overkill i could have used three quarter inch one inch like anything just to put around it and block the air but no i came home with two inch thick foam core which which was it's it's ridiculous it is so thick it is equal or sticks out further than the eaves of the roof on the garden hive oh my goodness yeah like (laughs) 
It's massive all the way around it, but they're going to be warm and cozy and snug. <laughs> That's right. And you put some on the, on the outer cover as well, right? I, so in the video, uh, it will, it will talk about how you and I had mentioned that I should put the Reflectex in there, but the Reflectex was still at the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's only half insulated. <laughs> it's, it's insulated on the four walls on the outside. I intended on doing the Reflectex on the bottom and then the mm -hmm. inner cover, but that was going to have to be a, on another day, um, you know, get out there. And on that instance, I might be able to do that without too much disruption because the bottom, that's easy enough to do. Um, and then on the top for the inner cover, I kind of would like it to be a little bit warmer to do that because it is going to, you know, allow the heat to come out of the top of the hive if I open up the roof. But I don't intend on opening up that inner cover and exposing the frames and things like that. So but yeah, that was well, that was another improvisation on um this was the best laid plan. And much like the tape, unfortunately, it's not here. <laughs> so we're going to do with what we've got. It makes me think about trying to do splits and not having bottom boards or outer covers or anything like that, right? So, uh, but but um, in a pinch, you could potentially use some more of that two inch, whatever, huge board on top of the outer cover, like outside, putting the shiny foil towards the hive. And you have the same effect that you would for um, a summer protection as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, there. <laughs> There's no way that that would fit under the lid ever. Um, it is so thick. So it would have to be like the, the reflect text the is outside. really what needs to go in. Yeah. Is because yeah. that would, you know, that would look just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> if I put it on the, the tops of the slope for the. Right. For the <laughs> oh, that's because it has it's a, a garden slope. hive. Oh, yeah. I, I, I assumed, and you know what happens when you assume that it was a flat <laughs> outer cover. <laughs> it's not. It's a garden. It's an A-frame garden hive top okay, because sense. they're cute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Deadly cute. No. They're just totally, it just goes right back to it. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so there you go. We've, we, we have now shown you in practice procrastinating and improvising and, you know, doing what you can just to make things work and putting it in there. So you're really uh, good at it. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> so at it. Do as I, we do. don't do as we do. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, let's talk about the fact that, uh, that is the first honest to God video. That is not one of these video versions of our discussions that's been put out on Patreon in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with that with me is being a perfectionist a lot of times, which is also great because this video shows yeah, I even say towards the end of it, I was like, is this the best I could have done? Absolutely not. Is yeah. this the prettiest? No. But will it work? Yes. You know, that's my problem with a lot of the videos is I come up with these grandiose ideas and I want something that is polished and refined and well produced. You know, like I want to add in goofy little things here, there, do that. When in reality, I need to just take the camera and just do, you know, dirty raw. dog style raw <laughs> footage of stuff, you know, and uh, and then just slap it together and put it out there because then you would get the content. And that's what I did with this. I purposely took the phone and I was recording different pieces of it. I have all kinds of recording equipment. You know, I could strap the, Gro the GoPro to me. I've got drones. I've got all kinds of stuff I could use. Yeah. But again, it goes back into that production value. And I want to have this pretty production value. But in reality, 
you guys don't care how polished and pretty it is. You just want the damn information. (laughs) Yeah, the content is what matters. And that's kind of like, it's good because I'm really no good at editing anything. So we're we're trying to kind of load up some on our um, YouTube channel. And I'm just kind of like, it's going to be rough, but the info will be there. There you go. And that, I think, honestly... As long as the information is there that everybody needs and you can add some levity to it or some entertainment, I think right. that's kind of the, the key to it all. Right, but exactly. I just need to do better at actually doing it and putting it out there. Um, I have the this video that was supposed to have been done like a year and a half ago that was going to be one of the first ones we put out there, which was lighting a smoker. It's not mm-hmm. a hard, well, it is right. hard for some people, <laughs> but it, it's not in concept. It's not a hard thing to, oh, you're just going to do a video on how to light a smoker. Yeah, but I also want to show you the funny frustration of when it doesn't light and then the absurdity of the stupid shit that you could do. And then you basically blow up your entire house because you right. were going overboard. And I want that to be in the video so bad that the video is a year and a half in the making and has exactly. not been done. <laughs> exactly. And, and so that's the other aspect of things. And, and with that, you can add, you want to put so much content, so much information in that one topic that you end up with uh, videos that are stretching too long and give you more opportunities to step all over yourself and just kind of put your foot in your mouth and kind of like, uh, 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 right? So my smoker video ended up being five minutes because I knew I couldn't hold it much more long. There you go. See, that's that's perfect. And it doesn't need to be this long, grandiose thing either. And that's something that Kevin tells me all the time. He's like, hey, when you've got the free time, I can help you out. We can go record a bunch of stuff. You can put out these little snippets of the different things. And in my brain, I'm like. I mean, it, but it, what if it's just a five minute video? Is it, is it worth it? You know, cause then I started thinking about social media and the, the crap that people put out there just to put stuff out there. Right? right. And I'm like, I wanted to have some substance to it, but at the same time, if I had cobbled together even, you know, five or 10, five and 10 minute videos over the past year, that would be five or 10 more videos. <laughs> well, and, and now they have those things called shorts, I think. Um, yeah. I think it's on YouTube or forget where, but um, I think the public, the people that are watching videos these days, they are going for shorter content. And so maybe, I mean, I feel my age. I'm like, I have to kind of like, <laughs> I tend to be long-winded anyway. And so I have to force myself to to make it much, much, much shorter. Well, that's also the things with like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. A lot of times videos were limited to two minutes and then they started expanding that, you know, category into what could be done, or it was like a minute for, for some of them. Um, they, they've expanded those categories. Now they got reels and they have videos and all this stuff that you can do. But you talk about feeling your age. I, I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have a TikTok oh, account. I have no desire to have I a TikTok have account. I one of those, but I've never posted anything on them. Never well, even. I, my thing is like, would I reach more people out there? Probably, but I actually have a commitment to the people here and I really should be focusing on this if I was going to focus on anything, not another platform. Uh, But that being said, before I forget, for everybody who is tuning in and listening here on Patreon, for those of you at the B Academy level who do have access to the videos, I have said before, videos on Patreon are a pain in the ass and they have not been a fun thing to do because formerly they have to be hosted through an outside program. So we're uploading them to Vimeo and then we're turning around and tagging that back into Patreon and locking it down so that you can view it on Patreon. But Vimeo and Patreon, even though they have this platform to work together, 
often change things without the other one's knowledge and it screws everything up. So that's why you may go back and you might watch a video and then all of a sudden there's three videos that tell you they can't play or there's an error. It's because they've changed the coding and every time they do it, then you've got to go back into that and you have to anyway. figure out what setting changed and you have to adjust it to the new parameters. Well, all that's gone now. So all of the videos going forward can actually be hosted and live natively here on Patreon. Oh, nice. There, there is no more uploading to a separate site and then linking it back in. So that video that I put out about the behind the scenes doing the hive insulation and uh, this video, the last video, those three videos are hosted natively there on Patreon. I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to find those original versions that were put up on Vimeo and I'm going to start uploading them onto Patreon to replace the existing videos. And in doing so, that should eliminate all of these coding and video playback errors. So now everybody should be able to see it and it not have these, these hiccups and problems and stuff. So it's so much easier once it's all cleaned up. Oh yeah. And it also like cuts an entire step out of my process, which right. like cuts the time in half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was told once that, um, and that's not with the Patreon stuff, but um, when you do movie, I mean, video editing, it takes like four hours to each hour of content, at least. It It basically does. So Back in the day, even on audio, if you were truly editing something, video takes even longer than audio, but audio is easily one to one and a half times whatever the duration of it is, because you're listening to it in real time, because you've got to find every little hiccup that you want to take out of there, every little thing that you want to correct, you got to make notes and marks as you go. It's different if you're doing it while you're recording, because you can make little notes, oh, timestamp here, there's this glitch, go back and fix it. But if you didn't record it and you're doing it for somebody else, you don't know until you listen. So that right. means you've got to listen to it. So if it's an hour long episode, that's an hour of time just to listen. But then you add in all the time of every little correction that has to be made. Every time you've got to go in and cinch something up and suddenly your one hour audio is a two hour editing process to to minimum to get it to where you want it to be well, at least. even longer. <laughs> Right, at least because you you're listening to it once. That's that one hour. You have to listen to it again once. That's another hour as you edit, and then you have all the editing time to add to that. Right? So. Yeah, it depends. I got to where I would just do it all in one swoop. So my my second round or my first round of true listening, I'm also making the notes and editing right there. So as we're going through, if I hear a long pause or I see you know like a glitch or something. I'm stopping right then. So you're pausing it, you're editing it, fixing it. You go back and re-listen to that little section. Okay, it sounds better. Then you continue forward. So you kind of wrap it all in there. But video, I mean, video editing, hard. it's kind of weird though, because nowadays with technology, there's so much stupid stuff you can do on your phone that takes forever on a computer. So I have a full editing suite for Adobe. Mm -hmm. And then I've got apps on my phone. And mm -hmm. I can go into Adobe and I can, with pinpoint precision, zoom in and cut things out. There's an app on my phone that I can literally go tink, tink, two taps, and it what? takes away the whole background. And I'm like, now, why the hell is the computer not that easy? Like, how did we get to the point where I can do that on my phone, but the computer is still like uber complicated to do? But um, but yeah, I've got I've got the whole video editing suite. I can go through and tie a bunch of stuff together. You can add in special effects. I can then pull the sound out over into the sound editing platforms, edit those over there, migrate them back in. Like... But all of that takes time. And I like the process of it. I think it's fun to go in and be creative and do all that stuff. But then you get bogged down in the monotony and minutia of it. 
and you never get your video. (laughs) And and honestly, I mean, I'd rather be in the bees and and that's the bottom line. That's where I have an issue is that I will take the content. I will film all this stuff, but then I'm like, I want to get back in the bees. I don't want to be spending my time in the video editing. That's true. I could learn. I could just do have fun, like you said, with it and all that stuff, but it it takes a commitment. It does. But now it's cold and Mm -hmm. we can't be in the bees which takes away a huge excuse. Yeah, <laughs> that's my excuse that's gone. <laughs> yeah, for the procrastination aspect of it. Now your excuse is gone. It's now wintertime. I can't get outside. It doesn't matter if it's beehives or chicken coops or whatever. I can't really go do work outside if it's going to be below 30 degrees. So I've got time to sit here and actually do things. <laughs> yeah, so what do beekeepers do in the winter when they're not in their bees? Well, if they're smart, as we've talked about in previous episodes, they are planning, prepping, and building for the next season. (laughs) But if your workshop is unheated and it's outside in the cold or, yeah, that also is like, okay, well, you can build frames on your living room floor until your partner gets mad at you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, that's a common problem, I'm sure, because beekeeping can take over a household real fast. Yes, Uh, that was like one of the things that Ken said back uh, don't ever use your wife's pots and pans <laughs> to try to render wax or honey or anything like that. Go get an old, you know, set of them. Cause yeah, that, that'll, that can run a relationship real quick. <laughs> and your kitchen. Yeah. Kitchen, your pots, your pans. Um, as my mom pointed out, she could always tell one, when I've been doing something with the bees and two, where I've been, because everything I touched was sticky. <laughs> Every cabinet door, drawer, door handle, you name it. Yeah. Like, yep, Every John came through. Door, everything. Yeah, I have the same problem. But yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the that's the honey season is the worst for that. Matter. That is that but is <laughs> you, can't, you can't extract outside. So if you don't have a honey house, you're kind of stuck and doing it inside. That's true. I've used a garage. I've used a basement. I've used an actual honey house. Um, And we've extracted individual frames on site at the farm with a two frame extractor. There you go. Like real time, pull it out of the hive, uncap it, extract it, put it right back in the hive. How did that work out for you? Uh, That was a very specific scenario. And we were, it's a lot to go into. it was dark, so we we did not do it during a time when the bees would actually be flying, so therefore there would be no robbing. But we were actually extracting honey from one particular hive at a particular time of the month after dark, mm-hmm. <laughs> one frame at a time. <laughs> I hope uh, that was an, I mean, I'm sure that was an interesting experience. It was dark. a very interesting experience, um, but we used red lights. The bees actually were very chill. Like I said, we didn't have to worry about the whole issue of robbing or anything. Um, it was kind of an interesting experience, but there there was a method to the madness there. It was a concept that Jorge had, and uh, I was I helped him figure out how we could actually bring it to fruition and do it. And it made for some very unique honey that was spot on with just that time of the season kind of thing. Oh, so it was very cool. And the, but it was also limited batches. So it was finite and it was something that that was it. It was one and done. You're never going to get it again. So, um, so kind of, it's, it's kind of off topic, but kind of not because we've kind of gone back and forth through some of this, but I, I don't know. I don't know if this is a question or a statement. Um, 
so beekeeping itself, bees, keeping bees, evolved pretty quickly there at the beginning because mm -hmm. you went from destroying a colony, you would you would be a bee hunter, you would find them, you destroy the colony, take back the resources, but then that colony was destroyed. So next year you would have to go find them somewhere else and try again. And then they they move on to this whole, well, hey, if we encourage them to live in this one place and we don't destroy them, then we know where to go every time. And then it became, well, if we actually help and maintain and manage them, you know, so you had this evolution. After a certain point though, I kind of feel like, and it goes back to my whole beekeeping is beekeeping. I kind of feel like the core aspect of beekeeping has not changed in forever. The only thing that keeps changing are the stupid things that we come up with ourselves oh as gosh. people mm -hmm. <laughs> and the ramifications or unintended consequences that we cause that we then have to come up with things to rectify and fix. That seems to be the current ever evolving aspect of beekeeping Yes, there are new pests and parasites, but guess what? Those pests and parasites get there because we cart mm -hmm. the bees all over the place and we make it easier for those things to spread. And there are new diseases that pop up, but that's the same thing in the human population. But the whole concept of, I want to keep bees, I'm going to go out there and manage my bees, I'm going to harvest honey, the, the core of it has not really changed. Mm -hmm. We change the hive styles, we change all these other things. There's different types of extractors. There's different ways to extract. But honestly, when it comes right down to it, it's kind of all the same, mm -hmm. which I don't know why that crossed my mind. I was sitting there earlier today and I was like, wow, in some ways, beekeeping from like my grandfather's generation is drastically different, but it's drastically different because of the mites and the parasites and the diseases and some of the newer finangled things that we've come up with for what can you go buy that's pretty and fancy and this is the newest right. thing you've got to have but right. at the same time we're doing the exact same things when you take that out of the equation so in that aspect it hasn't changed at all no and but you're right um we're trying to make something complicated that's actually been fairly straightforward and uh one example uh, is i i had bought tickets to a conference coming up in january and i was like I didn't like the main speaker. So I'm like, we're getting a refund. And I, somebody asked me why. And I was like, well, I don't want to go there anyway, because it's like the, the beekeeping Walmart of conferences. <laughs> right. I mean, and that goes hand in hand with those catalogs that are thick now, thicker and thicker. It's like a phone book. We end up with all those things that we need to supposedly buy. And, and it's just kind of like uh, a lot of useless stuff and, and things that are being pushed onto beekeepers for the sake of, you know, profit. selling them something. Yes, yeah, exactly. For the sake of profit. Is it going to make your beekeeping experience any better? Is it going to drastically improve things? Most of the time, not really. I mean, there, there are some things out there like uh, frame grabbers, for instance. Well, if you weren't using frames, you wouldn't need a frame grabber. Mm -hmm. But if you are and they get stuck together, you still have to use your hive tool to get them loose. And then you can, yes, you can use the frame grabber and you can pick it up and pull it out and do what you need to. They have frame holders. Do you necessarily need the frame holder? No, not necessarily, because... I don't. I don't own any of those things, and I've been able to do all of my management just fine. As long as I've got a hive tool or something that can function as a hive tool, I'm good. <laughs> like a, a competent beekeeper that's um, got a lot of experience under their belts, most of the time they don't use those things because they realize that's taking more time. And uh, what I feel like it's kind of those catalogs and those events are kind of praying 
on the newer beekeepers. Yes, there's a lot of stuff for the commercial beekeepers as well, and that's different. But the 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 beginning beekeepers, they don't necessarily need all those toys, but they kind of think uh, that they um, that's something that is needed, or they want to tinker with it, which is fine. Uh, but in the end, it doesn't replace good understanding of bee biology. And doesn't make a good beekeeper out of you. It's not because you have a whole bunch of toys that you're going to be skilled at beekeeping. That's true. It just means you need more storage space for all your toys. Yeah. And a bigger <laughs> bank account to pay for all of that. That is also true. Your hobby gets very expensive. It's expensive enough to have bees, period. Yeah. So like the, the cheapest possible way that you could ever do it would be one, if somebody just straight up gifted you the equipment that you were going to use, whatever type of hive body style you were going to use, and a swarm moved into it. That's the that's the easiest it's ever going to get. But that doesn't really happen. So you're going to have to build something. If you do it by hand and you use reclaimed materials, yep. you can get it at a very steep discount from what it would have been purchased new. Or free in some cases, like for um, um, top of hives that are super simple, where you don't have like straight angles, It's you don't use frames and all the stuff. You can use, use uh, wood that you get from the construction sites that's left over. Even the bars, as long as you have 19, 20 inch of wood sections, you can rip them into bars. Yep. So it depends what you're doing. It's going to take your time and, and gas to go get those um, uh, items and maybe some tools to make those. But in the end, that's one of the cheapest way to do this. And like you said, um, catching swarms, you can still kind of get those. Um, if you have a good strategy and you have what you need, then you should be able to get free bees. One would hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had, it's just like everything. It's kind of cyclical and, and there's an ebb and flow to it. But my first year up here, I did put out a bunch of swarm traps and I had bees that were interested, but they never actually committed and moved in. And I have no idea, one, where they came from or two, where they were going. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that that was my first initial goal was, well, we'll see what swarms we can get. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to leave those traps up, but I may take them down and replace them with like a different version, um, mm -hmm. you know, make some modifications and stuff to it, because that was very last minute. Let's grab what I've got and just throw it up and see what happens. Um, I would also like to start. I haven't ever successfully got them to stick around in there, but I would like to start the comfort hive style where oh, yeah. you're doing a smaller container. You still got the two inch lumber all the way around it, but it's a smaller square container. And they're using bamboo uh, bamboo skewers as the bar, quote unquote, basically. Right. Um, I have purposefully installed a couple of removals into one of those and a swarm into one of those. And I, I just haven't ever really got it to take off yet. They mm. don't like it for whatever reason, or it's just it wasn't fitting for them. So they they've absconded right. or, you know, I ended up transferring them or whatever. But um, I would like to do some more aspects like that. And again, it's something that's simple it it doesn't other than making the the notches for the right. actual skewers to fit in there's not a lot of complicated cutting to it or not a lot of complicated measurements either you can kind of make it whatever shape and thickness and depth you want so long as you don't get carried away and end up with this chimney that's all one massive board right. you know right. so but yeah there's there's all kinds of different things that you can do but it comes back to that the core of beekeeping beekeeping is beekeeping it doesn't matter what you put them in it's honestly the same concepts and materials. We just have a tendency to overcomplicate things or convince ourselves that we absolutely have to have the newest, shiniest thing or we're not a legitimate beekeeper. That's not necessarily true at all. You know, you just do what you can with what you've got and make the best of it. And I would say um, go back to the basics. 
focus on what the bees need. They need um, dryness, they need enough volume, they need uh, small entrances, they need uh, potentially thermal mass to kind of help them out. They don't necessarily need it, but you're gonna be more successful with things like that. And um, they don't need us for much of anything else, right? I mean, if you are in an area that doesn't have a lot of forage, you might be inclined to provide emergency feeding. But in all reality, bees will feed themselves. They will go and forage in a radius of one to three miles on average. And um, the more we mess with them, um, the more we risk those unintended consequences and potential problems, actually. Yeah. So one of the things, if you, if we, I talked about the frame picker, the frame grabber, and the frame holder. So the frame grabber is, is this little thing, like little claws that you can grab a hold of the top of the frame and pick it up out of the, the box. Honestly, that's what your hand would normally do. But with the frame grabber, you get underneath the wood edge, you might get a better grip, and it's got a thinner kind of surface area that it's going to contact. So maybe you don't squish a bee. Get mm -hmm. a hold of that, you pull it out. If you put it onto the frame rest or the frame holder, that is designed for you to literally put like five frames out there. Mm -hmm. Well, that means you've got five frames of whatever brood or whatnot exposed to the elements out of your hive. And if your queen is on there, you've increased the chances of her falling off. <laughs> and now she's going to be outside of the colony. And, you know, you may have done it because you wanted to prevent potentially rolling and squishing her inside the box. Mm -hmm. But eventually all those frames have to go back in as well. So instead of using that, I take out a frame. And what? I usually prop that one frame up against the side of the box yeah. on whatever the box is standing on. That's right. I, you know, or I'll flip the lid upside down and put it beside the box and then set it in that. So if anybody falls, they're in the lid and not in the grass. Mm -hmm. And then as you pick up each frame, you just move it one place back and you do right. your check and your inspection and you're good. They don't all need to come out of that box, right. but it seems convenient. It seems like a good idea. And yes, it can work and it can function, but are you truly negating what could have gone wrong by not using it if you use it? Or are you increasing the amount of chances that something else could go wrong that wouldn't have otherwise? It's kind of a yes. wash. <laughs> it is. And as a general rule, I don't like pulling all of my frames out of my boxes. Frames are bars. I, I'd rather pull out one, maybe two, if really it's tight, and then move everything else horizontally, right? Yeah. Uh, and then put it back in place, unless you're doing something more crazy, like a split or something like that or potentially even a requeening, you can just pull those out and look for that queen everywhere and yep. put them right back into the box. You don't need to basically splay the animal open. Uh, right, you're basically doing a split without doing a split, just to turn around and put it all right back in its own place. It, right. Yeah, you're dissecting your colony for no reason. <laughs> well, and it's very, uh, they're very vulnerable at that point. All kinds of things bad can happen and it, it's really disruptive to the levels of humidities, the temperatures. If there's a bird's nest, that's very um, uh, just disruptive. Uh, have you watched a documentary called More Than Honey? It's, um, they're it sounds familiar. Yeah, so there's a, uh, they're describing beekeeping in, in Europe. I think it's in Austria and also contrasting it with beekeeping in a commercial operation and pollination in the almond orchards. And um, I believe John Miller is the guy that wrote that article in Bee Culture magazine. Yeah, and, I've seen that. Yeah, so he, um, he at some point, harvest, he does splits and harvests honey and he pulls those hives apart and there's frames everywhere. So he's got racks and he's pulling each colony 
food here, brood here, um, you know, drunk home here, and there's bees flying everywhere, millions of bees up in the air, completely confused. Those hives are completely dismantled. And then he rebuilds them the way he wants to and then grabs buckets of loose bees that he's catching from the ceiling of the tent and dumping them in the boxes and giving them uh, new queens. And honestly, I, I, I was kind of crying. I was That was too much. I couldn't do that. That was so rough. And those bees were completely splayed, um, just exposed, just torn. Well, when you, when you talk about how rough it is, in an actual commercial operation where they are going through and they're making those, there's no consideration whatsoever. It's all about time. And that's one of the bigger downsides to the commercial thing is it's on a time scale. You don't, well, their excuse is they don't have time to be gentle or slow or to do this or to do that. And so if they're making a split, they've got this massive funnel and they're just taking frame by frame and shaking them. And they don't care if the queen's in there because there's a queen excluder underneath that that the bees are sifting through. Those queens that they do come out of it, they may be captured and put into a queen cage to be sold as a queen. Mm-hmm. They don't know what colony it came from. They don't know how old she is. They don't know how viable she is. That's just like, oh, here's a queen. She's either going to be offed with her head and killed or she's going to go into a queen cage and be sold. And everything's just mashed together as fast as they can do it because... It's about profit and turnaround. They got to go. And there's nothing pretty about it whatsoever. And the, and and as they requeen pretty much every six months or every eight months, that's probably the fate of them is just to be off with their heads. But the, the other aspect of things is that I, I was talking to a commercial beekeeper who was saying, basically, if you're spending more than just opening, cracking the lid open and looking for population, and if the population is good, you close it back. If you're spending more time than that, you're doing it wrong is what they said. Right. Because they don't care if it's queen right, if there's brood, if there's disease or anything, as long as the population is there, that's all they care about. They'll close them right back down. And then if there's a population issue, then they'll start digging through and looking for issues and and just kind of remediating. Yeah. They have that luxury of having so many colonies that they they can afford to literally just split another one and make a new one. Mm -hmm. So in normal backyard beekeepers, hobbyists don't have that luxury. You know, if you've only got three colonies, you can't just be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just tear the others apart. You know, like, yeah. You have to be a little bit more careful. The the combination, the combines, when you have a colony that's too weak, they'll take the whole box and put it on the queen right colony, let them duck it out. They don't look for the queen, no nothing. Yeah. No combine, no newspaper, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is a brutal, fast paced world that is not beneficial <laughs> for the bees themselves. Yeah. I, it's It's one of those things where sometimes whenever you have people like, for instance, dietary concerns such as veganism and being vegan and whether or not honey is considered vegan and some of their arguments I could 100% agree with if you're looking at it from that exact standpoint from the commercial standpoint of how they're actually maintaining those now some of the other things they say like oh but you're holding the bees hostage nope they can leave anytime they want to like and they do like it's that oh, just yeah. happens. You no, know, they're he's hostage. They're yeah, not. they're not trapped. <laughs> they can leave. In fact, if they couldn't leave, they couldn't then go out and forage and get what they needed exactly. to from the flowers. But um, you know, some of those aspects, I do see that. And I often tell people it really depends on the style of beekeeping, how many hives they have, if they're a commercial operation yeah. and whatnot. Because honestly, when it comes down to it, 
you go look at a commercial operation and you see how many hundreds upon thousands of bees die because they get squished and smashed and boxes and lids put on top of them and because they're going so fast. And then you go watch a backyard beekeeper that has a few handful of hives and or a top bar hive and they go through the entire thing and they don't squish a single bee. And then tell me now that you've seen it, do you still think that those bees are enslaved? Right. Do you think they're trapped? Do you see how this is actually more in line with what they would? And then you add in the education, the knowledge of what the colony needs and what happens to the colony if there's excess. Because in nature, those bees would not have the possibility of doing 300 pounds of honey right. on one colony. It would be like 30 pounds. That's it. I And I totally understand their concerns and some of their, uh, their points are very valid. I mean, there's a lot of uh, nonsense going on and, and just ways that the bees are not always treated right. But relativizing that is important because, um, you know, when you're vegan, you rely a lot on vegetables and almonds and things like that, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> on those bees that they're transporting. Right. So there's that. And there's also we all drive cars. We all do things that are uh, negative to the planet. So there's something to, to, to keep in mind as well. It's not necessarily perfect. What is important is to strive to um, do as well as we can and be as mindful as we can trying to um, treat the bees in a way that's um, sustainable and, mind and, and human, basically. Yeah. Ken and I have a bonus episode from the first year that we were doing bonus episodes called Stop Drinking Almond Milk or stop yes. buying almond milk. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's really what it was all about because of the arguments from certain different communities and things and how it's really hypocritical to say, I am not going to support this beekeeper because this beekeeper I feel like is doing these bad things to the bees, yet I'm going to go buy almonds and almond milk, which is 100% pollinated by honeybees. I'm going to go eat avocado toast, which avocados are 100% pollinated by honeybees. But I'm going to instead, I'm going to buy this honey substitute instead of buying the actual honey. I'm going to buy this honey substitute called Bee Free Honey, H-O-N-E-E, -E, because therefore I'm helping the bees by not exploiting them. But guess what? That was made out of apples, which is 100% pollinated by bees. So you really are doing that, a disservice. <laughs> I think that more than being hypocritical, it's probably more uh, not being educated on the ins and outs of those processes. And it's just not knowing. Um, and I think it's up to us beekeepers to really kind of explain that gently so that it, the, you know, the message comes across. There's, there's um, other more concerning things to me than, than, than that, than eating yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it that's it's just funny though how how it can become so extreme in yeah, some of the views and opinions and stuff. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a crazy thing. But so anyhow, um I don't that was really just kind of out of the blue. It was this this yeah. random thought that had come up earlier today, and that all stemmed from yeah. like, has it really changed? Is it changing? Uh, you know. Yeah. I think that um, we should go back to the basics and really kind of um, make it simpler for the sake of the bees, but also for ourselves. I mean, we can run that race forward and just make it, we have robots come in and, and robotic hives and, and all kinds of crazy robotic bees. And, and yeah, we, we talked about that in an episode oh, here, actually. Oh. <laughs> yes. So um, but I kind of think we like we poo-pooed all over all of the cool ideas. I love it, it from the technological standpoint, 
but then at the same time it's like but do you really need it no would you put that money and effort into making the insects that are alive today that do that process survive as opposed to inventing their replacements and allowing them to die off and it's the same thing for artificial insemination and those uh you know super bees and designer bees and all that stuff i mean we we probably should put more effort and research funding into finding out how we can better help our bees increase their genetic diversity and be more resilient naturally without having to use products. The problem is society is profit-based and uh, a lot of people have their fingers in the pie. Yep. That is very true. Mm, pie. pie. <laughs> it's coming. Nice, mm. nice hot pie on a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. The holidays are very fastly approaching. Winter is even though the the meteorological calendar does not say it is here yet, it is here because it is cold and there's snow on the ground. So that's yep. winter. Um, bees should be tucked in. Everybody should be good, except for our friends down under. Y'all should just be starting to wake up and get things up and going. Like you're getting ready to start off. We're winding down. It's kind of one of the fun trade-offs back and forth. I think actually our uh, friends in Australia have been in swarming season and things have been cranked up quite a bit. I, I'm curious to know what's going on with the whole Veromite scare and how, where things stand. I haven't kept up with it, but, um, you know, I'm I'm keeping good hope that they're going to resolve that. I hope so, too. Um, and in a way that is beneficial to everybody and everything and not... Uh, detrimental all the way across the board i did see a couple of things about some lawsuits um you know people petitioning and suing or pleading yeah not to have their hives destroyed or that they shouldn't have didn't need to be and they were done needlessly and therefore they owe them some money back but yeah it's that's a mess but and i hope that it comes out well for certain um there was one other man that made me think of something and i don't remember what it was (laughs) It was there and it was gone. It just flew away. The little bee went in one ear, bounced out the, off the one brain cell and back out the other I'm, side. I'm often told that I have two bees in my brains that are, and when I'm not doing well, I only have one left. <laughs> Every now and then they bump into each other and there's like, ah, oh, you have an aha moment. Yeah, the light comes on for a minute. <laughs> oh, well, see, there you go. <laughs> it happens. It does happen. Um, oh, that was what I was going to say, which was it, it had nothing to do with anything, which is probably why I forgot about it. But I did notice. So I, I get these chart updates and we haven't been putting out these episodes here on Patreon um, at the moment are just for you folks here on Patreon. Now, a year from now, you may be listening to me say these exact words going, what the hell is Patreon? Because this may be released on the main platform for everybody right. to hear after the fact. Um, in which case go check out Patreon and see what it is. But, um, yeah, anyhow, cool content and yeah. premium content for that matter. So what the, uh, the thing that kind of, it gets me every now and then, because I'm like, what, why you can always tell when different cycles of things kick off or different seasons and different things pop up because I will get these chart updates from the main podcast, which this year, the main podcast has had like, I don't know, four episodes, maybe, And they were not intended. They weren't planned episodes. They were just me putting out random things, talking about like the Let There Be Banjos or, um, you know, in mourning of the prior year and all the things that we had lost or things like that. So they weren't like legitimate. Here's a new episode. It was just like, hey, here's some new content. It's just something to put out there for you guys to hear. But the reason I'm saying all that is because every now and then weird things happen on the charts and the charts, meaning the rankings of the podcast out there in the world for everything. 
And the one that I follow the most is uh, the Apple ratings on stuff because pretty much most of your podcast listening, even if you don't realize it, you may be listening to it on a different app. There are some big players. There's iHeart, there's Stitcher, there's Podbean, there's Spotify, mm-hmm. there's Apple. Pretty much everybody else that's not one of those that I just named source their stuff through Apple. Mm-hmm. So they're pulling the feed from an Apple feed, even though you didn't sign up with them. That's how all of a sudden there's like Pocket Cast and all these other things out there. That's where that feed is coming from is from most of the time your Apple feed. So that's the one that I look at the most on the charts. And when we talk about the charts, we talk about, you'll hear me say the hobby podcast category. Mm-hmm. That is not the beekeeping podcast category. That is all things that fall into hobby podcast. For the most part, this podcast is divided between hobby and leisure. It falls into one of those two, depending on what platform and what sourcing it's getting it from. (laughs) For whatever reason, this week, all of a sudden, we were not on the charts at all last week. And this week, there was this huge spike in listeners like picking up the podcast from day one and kind of moving forward. It jumped us up to number 18. Oh, wow. Period. Number 18. Like we weren't even in the top 200 and all of a sudden we were back up at number 18 and it does that all the time. That's for here in the United States. I can also tell when things kick up and start going in Australia because all of a sudden Australia will start showing up in the charts and then it'll be like, oh, you're here. But then there's these weird ones where like I'll pull it up and I'll look and it'll be like Scandinavia. You're number one. And I'm like, what? Why? (laughs) Like, where did that come from? And why are we number one out of all the hobbies you could be doing? How is this beekeeping podcast in the top? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that means it's still kicking and still kind of doing things. It's still out there. And that's that's kind of one of the awesome things about something being evergreen is because the podcast isn't gone. John's just been procrastinating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's there's a plan and a goal and now the winner's here maybe i can finish up some of that plan and goal um but even though there's not been a lot of new content out there anybody who hasn't listened to it there's still three years of stuff for them to go out there right, and actually exactly. consume and and go through it's and, 100 plus episodes right like, oh yeah um i haven't actually looked at that there's over yeah um, there's over, uh, between the, the bonus episodes and there was like 82 bonus episodes. And then with you and I doing this on the beekeeper chats Which is weekly. Yeah. It's every week. Um, and so we're, we're well over just on, on extra content from Patreon. We're well over a hundred on that. The podcast itself is somewhere. I don't remember. It's like, because it did not count bonus episodes when the bonus episodes were coming out. So it's not a true number. So what you see is like episode 163 or 166 is where it's at as far as mainstream episodes, because all of the bonus episodes were just released as bonus. They weren't, they weren't categorized as a number. So when you put that all together, yeah, there's, there's pushing like 300 episodes of stuff out there. Wow. That's a lot. Right. So yeah, it makes it kind of interesting. And that's including everything. That's the main platform. That's Patreon. That's that's everything all together. Um, but everybody here on Patreon, you're getting to hear this right now, real time, you know, see the different videos and stuff. And eventually we do, like I did with the bonus episodes between Ken and I, I did release a chunk of them out there to the public. The bonus episodes that are now the Beekeeper Chat episodes with Natalie and I, those will eventually start being released to the public, but it's going to be like a year delayed. Mm-hmm. So 
at the beginning of this next year, when season four starts airing and it comes out on Mondays, these may air on Thursdays as like bonus content that goes oh, along with the main. 2023? Is that 2023? Getting- it will be a year since you and I started doing this, actually over a year, because we already passed a year yeah. in September. Um, so it will start releasing episodes that we've done on here. We'll start coming out onto the main platform for people as well next year. I'm not going to say when, I don't know if it'll be January or February, but it will be 2023. No commitments. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to make it such a specific thing that, uh, yeah, because I don't know. You reserve the right to procrastinate a little bit more. (laughs) I procrastinated for an entire year, so I can't really give myself too much more leeway with that aspect. Um, So it will be the the beginning part, the first quarter of 2023. uh, You have like an entire year's worth and plus of content already lined up. Yeah. And so that's the cool thing about that is that it gives something out there for everybody who's not a patron to be able to hear all that and be able to go through it. So that works. Um, But for all you patrons, there will continue to be stuff here on Patreon and more videos and stuff as I get off my butt and stop procrastinating and stop worrying about the production quality and just doing it. Right. Um, Those will be coming out for everybody. And there will be new content for everyone, Patreon and everybody on the main platform, because the main platform will start releasing season four, which will be interesting. Um, It's definitely a back to the basics. It's covering things that are not normally covered. We talk about like, this is a queen and this is a drone and this is a worker. And you hear us talk about in the main platform seasons one and part of two you know like oh well you need to be aware of what's going on you've heard it a lot here on the beekeeper chats you got to know what's going on outside of the colony to know how that's going to affect the inside of the colony that is all season four is about and we're breaking it down by region and we're going through and we're saying all right if you live here this is really what you need to be looking at these are your main nectar sources this is when the flow starts on average this is how much honey you might need to make it through the winter on average and it, you know, it just kind of goes back and forth through that. So are we going to go international with that? Is that going to be something that you're going to be talking to people in Australia? In I mean, we have to include our friends down under because yeah. how could we not? I know. Um, and part of the reason that I've like drug my feet on this also is I kind of want it to line up a little bit better. And I think that if we do it this way, it's going to allow it to release in a more pertinent time frame. Because you're, you know, if I put it out in the middle of the year, I put it out in winter or that it's going to be kind of the beginning or beginning of spring into winter when it comes out, but it's going to be leading you into the next beekeeping season where you can go through and you can hear these different aspects and different parts and different regions. And then in have that information handy so that you can incorporate it as you go through and you do your beekeeping. And that's kind of what made the whole first couple of seasons of the show as important as they were because it was going a day in time with your beekeeping season. So as topics came up, people were like, Oh my God, that just happened. Or I'm just getting ready to do that. This is perfect timing. And that's kind of what I want to hit with the rest of it. Now for everybody who's listening to this, like after the fact, well, it's on you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do anything about that part, but you know, um, I also like, so for people watching the video, the lights on my side keep getting super bright. That's Zoom. That is, I've been watching like, so nothing's changing on my end. But okay. when I move, the the camera apparently like- with Zoom is, is it's it's trying to auto adjust the light intensity. Right. And all of a sudden it'll almost wash out the screen. It'll be so bright. And then it dims back down to normal. So 
apologies there. But that also goes back to the production aspect of it. That's the that's the nitpicky perfectionist yeah. version of me. I see that and I'm like, mm, <laughs> I want to correct it. Yeah, not much to do to fix that. Uh, after I can't. The fact, yeah, I can turn it off. I think is the only thing I can do is zoom is turn off the auto brightness so that it will not try to adjust. And that may be something that I'll do next week. But eh. Missed it. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, this doesn't apply to Patreon, really, but it does apply to the main platform. Three and a half years. It took me three and a half years to figure out one glitch that has driven me crazy and has driven all of our listeners absolutely crazy. It is the time coding with the main audio episodes. And by that, I mean... It's a 20 minute episode. You start it and suddenly it says it's an hour long and it's not. Oh. And if you try to fast forward, it's in a weird place. And if you pause it and start over, nothing lines up and you can't figure out why. I finally figured out what it was. It is an actual known glitch inside uh, Adobe Audition, which is what we use for the auto audio editing. Oh. It is a known glitch with their encoding that has been there for over five years that they apparently just refuse to fix. But if you go through and save it, mm -hmm. it will create that error. But if you export it, which is a it's same thing as saving, but it's doing a different process to get to that same final goal. It will clear it. It actually does it correctly. So if I'm saving it as an MP3 underneath the encoding that I want versus exporting it as the MP3, that's what causes it or doesn't cause it. So all of the new things that I have done uh, well, basically it would, everything going forward, everything that we've done on here this year, I already knew that. And so I've been purposefully fixing it, but on the pot, the platform for the main podcast, everything is going to be fixed. So I can't go back and do anything really about the others without re-releasing them. And that yeah. makes a huge mess on your platform. So apologies on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but from there forward, I can fix it to where it doesn't do that. So that annoying feature will be gone. <laughs> well, that's good news. At least yeah. there's that to future episodes. Yes. Yes, indeed. So I think with all of that announcements, updates, and craziness there, I think we'll go ahead and call this one good for the day. I thank you all for tuning in. I hope you are all bundled up and staying warm, unless you're in Australia, in which case, enjoy the warmth that is on your way. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, we're a little jealous here, but each to each their turn, right? So. That's right. To each their own. That is true. So thank you again so much. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Look forward to talking to you again soon next week. But until then... Be good. And be mindful. Bye-bye, <laughs> everybody. Bye, guys. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.